Some of you might recognize this as a contemporary version of a story that Jesus actually told in Matthew 18 on the power and the importance of forgiveness. And in this particular story, Jesus is very direct on the importance of forgiving other people. And in the midst of this story, he says, just in case you didn't get it, let me tell you one last time. And these were the words he gave. Jesus said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I'd like to begin this morning by simply giving you kind of our big idea that will kind of guide us throughout this. You can fill it out in the program or on our JAR app as well. And here's our big idea for this morning. Forgiving others is not optional. Forgiving others is not optional. If you're a follower of Jesus or if today you're here and you're like, hey, I'm open to it. If you're going to ever follow him, forgiveness is not an option. It's actually a command from Christ. And the reason is, is because God is a forgiving God and he forgives you of anything. And so he desires that you would forgive others. You see, Jesus said that there is a God who is lavishing us with generosity, and yet he's also painstakingly just. I mean, human beings have like accumulated this gigantic moral debt. Every single person in here, no matter what you think about yourself, you have this huge moral debt. And we add to this pile every single day. I mean, every time that you're less than honest, every time that you lie to someone, every time that you cheat, every time that you fudge the truth just a little bit, we add to our pile of moral debt. Every time you're unloving to a child, every time you shouldn't have uh, made a cutting remark, but you do, every time that you gossip about somebody else, every time that you're not grateful, every time you should have spoken in love, but you chose not to, you add to this pile. Every time that you close your eyes to the poor, every time that you hold a grudge against someone, every selfish act, every self-righteous attitude, every failure to be generous with your finances to when God has blessed you so much, every time that you give a blind eye to racist comments, every moment of spiritual sloth, all of this is adding to a huge amount of moral debt that I have and every single person here does as well. And if you think about it, our moral debt looks something like this. A big pile of stinky, smelly, dirty, filthy clothes. And some of you are like, that looks like my teenager's room right now, you know? Folks, we all have a big pile of moral debt that we're adding to all the time. And you know, as a pastor, as someone who has given his life to trying to help people grow spiritually in a closer relationship with Christ, the list that I just shared with you, it's my list. I've done every single one of those things That I just shared with you. And the reality is folks. It only took me about a minute to write them down. 
And that's not all of my list. There's more things that I'm adding to the pile every single day. And sometimes I don't even realize that I'm adding to the pile. Because there are blind spots in my life all the time. But this is the good news. There was a good Friday about 2,000 years ago in which Jesus came and he said, I will give my one and only life for all of your piles. All of us have a pile. All of your pile of moral debt and there will actually be a transfer. I'll remove this pile right here by doing one thing and that is by going to a cross. And because when I go to that cross, it will be free because I will come back again three days later and we'll celebrate that in just a few days ago, in in just a few weeks. And three days later, when he comes back, it's like the moral debt that you and I are so overwhelmed by. He says, I will set it free. That's how much of a forgiving God I am. God took pity on me. God took compassion on you. He took mercy on all of us. And he forgave us of all of our sins. But it doesn't stop there. Last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer and uh, such a a great moment that God kind of worked in the middle of that. If you haven't listened to it, you can go online to our app or uh, check it out on the website. But we went through the Lord's Prayer And when you get about to the middle of it, Jesus taught us something. He said this. He said, when you pray, pray this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Charles Williams, who was a great British uh, theologian and novelist, he said the most important word was this word, as, and this is what he says. He says, no word in the English language carries a greater possibility of terror Then the little word as in that clause. Now, Jesus, folks, I want you to know, he's very, very serious about forgiveness. That he actually, when he's done with this powerful prayer that thousands and thousands and millions and millions and billions and billions and trillions and trillions of people have prayed over the centuries, he says, The prayer was great, but I think they might forget it, so I'm going to put a P.S. at the end of it. Did you know, research actually shows, when you write an an email or a letter, if you want the most read or remembered part of it, do you know what it is? The P.S. That's what people remember the most. And so this was Jesus' P.S. at the end of the Lord's Prayer. P.S. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also, next two words, forgive you. He says, hey, if you forgive other people, hey, no problem. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will what? What's the word? Not forgive your sins. Now, if you're here for the first time I were you, I'd look at that and I'd go, that's kind of harsh. I mean, it seems like Jesus is being a little bit strict here, a little bit too legalistic. God is being way too hard here. In fact, sometimes people will say, 
well, I know that God will forgive me because it's his job to forgive me. And God has to forgive me. Bunch, you've stood up there many times and said, hey, whatever you're going through, God's going to forgive you. Now, this verse is saying that God will forgive you. It's not saying that God says, I'm going to hold back a little bit of the forgiveness because I want to teach you and motivate you to forgive other people. That's not it. Rather, Jesus is commenting on the nature of forgiveness in the human condition. You see, folks, there's a vast difference between a couple of things. Between wanting to be forgiven versus wanting to get out of trouble. There's a huge difference between just wanting to be forgiven, but then just wanting to try to get out of trouble. Let me explain it to you. Uh, This past fall... I was uh, asked to officiate a wedding uh, in Kokomo, Indiana. It was Labor Day weekend, and we had hung out with some friends, and Saturday came, and the wedding rehearsal was that night, and I didn't really want to go, but I was like, okay, I better go, but I kind of waited around. The rehearsal was at 6 o'clock. I left Muncie about 5 o'clock, and the GPS said it took an hour and five minutes to get there. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I can make up five minutes. I'll just go a little bit faster. And so I start going a little bit faster, and, man, I'm making up time. And the next thing I know, man, it's 5.59. I'm supposed to get there. And so I look, and I'm on State Road 9, and I'm driving pretty fast. And I notice this other car coming this way, and it's going much slower. But on the side of it, it said Fairmount Police. So as it's going by me, I'm thinking, it's going very slow. Maybe there's something wrong with that car. I probably should pray for it, you know. And so I looked up in the rearview mirror, and this was my prayer. God, please don't let him turn around. Please don't let him turn around. Well, almost like Christmas, the red lights came on, turned around, pulled me over. I'm uh, sitting there in the car, and I'm thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. And then all of a sudden, I think, I'm getting ready to go to a wedding. I got a perfect excuse. So the guy comes up. He says, uh, hey, do you know why I pulled you over? I wasn't going to lie. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm going a little fast. He said, well, where are you going? I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. I'm getting ready to go uh, to a wedding rehearsal, and I really need to be there on time. And I want you to know I'm not lying to you. And so I actually pulled out my three-ring binder that had all the message. Like, he wants to see that, you know. And so I show my evidence. I mean, I'm pulling out all the stops, and I'm sure this is going to work. And I show it to him, and he looks at me, and he says, oh, so there's a bride and groom, and they're waiting on you. And I said, yeah. He said, well, you better call call him and tell him you're going to be late. He goes back, writes out a ticket, comes back up to me, gives me the ticket. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't think he likes weddings. Uh, I just don't think he likes weddings. You see, folks, all I wanted to do was get out of trouble. I didn't care about anything except not having to pay the penalty or the fine. Different scenario. First two years of my marriage to my wife, I held back a huge secret from her. I didn't tell her. In fact, we had conversations in which she was trying to glean some things about my past, and I actually lied to her. I deceived her. I did not tell her the truth. I go to a spiritual retreat weekend two uh, years after we had been married. I'm at this retreat weekend. They're talking about God's grace, that he forgives you for anything. But then they go on to say that if you want ultimate forgiveness in your own life, 
and you've done something wrong or you've held something back from your spouse, you need to make it right. And so I go back home after uh, this retreat with these thoughts in my mind from the conference that said that if you want to have a healthy marriage, you keep no secrets, you keep nothing hidden, the last 10% you share to your wife. And I had held back. And I knew that when this conversation came, folks, there was going to be pain, there was going to be hurt, there were going to be struggles. But I also realized that the importance of any relationship is that if you've done wrong, that you seek forgiveness from the other person. And yet I knew there was going to be pain. I knew there were going to be difficult conversations. I knew there would be truth-telling. I knew there would be more pain on top of that. I knew there would be counseling that Jen and I would have to go to. Because God is so good. And he gave me such an amazing wife. He said, I forgive you. And I will not bring it up again. It's been 25 years that we've been married. And Jen has forgiven me multiple, multiple times since then. You see, folks, if you want to forgive me, I've got to actually agree that there's something in my life that I've done wrong. If I don't think I've done something wrong, then I don't need forgiveness. A few years ago, a guy uh, came to our church. He was a very, very affluent person in the community, owned his own business. He had multiple properties around Ball State, had his own houseboat, took me out to eat several times. He was very engaged. He helped out a lot, hard worker, did all kinds of things, and something happened in the life of the church, and he got mad and he left the church. And when he did, He left without wanting to be reconciled. I'd reached out to him several times, tried to make things right. Other people tried to do the same thing within the church. And then as he left, he started telling rumors to people both in the church and the community that I didn't care for the poor and that I was just a wealthy person because my wife's a doctor and that we were doing things uh, just to put on a front, and he said all of these kind of things. But then he said, but I want you to know that I've actually forgiven him. And then I tell you, there came a moment in my life, I'm not proud of it, but I thought to myself, I can tell you what you can do with your forgiveness. Because I didn't have that heart for that. And then luckily I had some uh, advisors around me, people who were smart that said, you need to forgive. And you need to move on. You see, folks, if you want to be forgiven and not just avoid trouble, it means that you have to recognize that I've done wrong and I want to become the kind of person that wouldn't do that. I mean, just imagine if I had gone to Jen and I said, well, there's something, but you know what? I like to keep betrayal in our marriage. I actually kind of enjoy deceiving you. 
I think we're going to keep on lying. I think I'm just going to keep on going through a marriage where I don't tell the truth. Folks, if you truly want to be forgiven by God, I have to agree that, God, I've done something wrong. I have to come clean. I've got to become the kind of person who wouldn't want to do that kind of stuff again. You know, forgiveness, folks, no matter how you look at it, it's actually in the word forgive. It's actually a gift. It is a gift of grace to you. But receiving forgiveness, folks, sometimes takes a lot of work. And the work comes in a word called repentance. I mean, if I cling to resentment toward other people, if I cling toward holding grudges and bitterness and retaliation and passive-aggressive behavior, if I don't want to be forgiven, I don't want to repent. I don't want to become a new creature. I don't want to become a person who is living in the kingdom of God. And guess what? Guess what? If you don't want to admit that you've done wrong and seek forgiveness, God's not going to force you. He loves you way too much to try to kind of give you the Indian rubber burn on your arms, you know, and to kind of kind of burn it out of you. He loves you too much for that. I mean, this is what... You must understand, we talked about it last week, it is psychologically impossible for us to have a soft heart toward God and a hard heart towards others. And yet I see people in the church all the time, they'll come and be like, oh Jesus, I love you Jesus, forgive me Jesus, forgive me Jesus. And somebody does something else and they're like, they're a horrible person. Horrible. I've seen you in the parking lot, some of you, so I know what it's like. Um. In other words, folks, you can't be the kind of person to have a faith that says, God, I want forgiveness from you, I want forgiveness, and then you don't forgive other people. In fact, it's impossible to do this because you are just one person with one character. Now, why do I say this? Because Scripture says this. John, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, he was the only disciple who was at the cross when Jesus died. Everybody else ran away. But John was there, and he saw this amazing thing. Jesus is on the cross. These people would put him there. And he looks down, and he says, Father, forgive them. And John learned about forgiveness so much that these are his words. He says this, For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have what? Yeah, you've not seen. We are each a whole being, and my character pervades everything I do. Your character pervades everything that you do. You know, it's been interesting to me that as we've looked at this Me Too movement, uh, so many male celebrities have given apologies. But if you think about it, they haven't been much of an apology at all. They haven't really owned much. Uh, I was reading One of them that shared this, the apology said, I apologize, although I don't remember doing it. That action does not reflect who I am. What? What are you talking about? I mean, that is absolutely nothing. Folks, our actions reflect who we are. 
when we act a certain way and we don't own what we've done, what we've said, my true character is not revealed by me publicly saying, this is the way I am, but it's precisely who you are when no one's looking. What you say, what you do, this is the truth about you. It's the truth about me. You know, Jesus came into a world that was governed by the law of retaliation. You help me, I'll help you. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. You punch me, I'll punch you back. Folks, this is human nature. When we're naturally living in the flesh here on earth, that's the way that we respond. When we live in our own selfishness, that's how we respond. But in the kingdom of God, folks, there is a totally different way that you go about dealing with these kind of things. And it comes down to kind of one word that we find throughout Scripture. And I'm going to give you a few Scriptures to see if you know what that word is. Here's the first one from the psalmist. He says, As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And then, actually, Jesus' brother James said these words, The Lord is full of pity and compassion. And then Peter, the guy who actually uh, was the point leader of uh, the early church, said, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. And then Jesus actually said in Matthew 18 that we looked at earlier, the servant's masters took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. What is the word that's the theme of all of these? What is it? Pity. 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 We don't really like that word pity, though, do we? It's a weak word. It's a word that kind of offends our pride. It kind of makes us cringe when we hear someone say that. You might actually hear people sometime that will say things like, I don't want your pity. Or, you know what, I don't need a pity party. And yet the truth is, folks, the guy that you're looking at right now is one of the most pitiful persons you've ever met. I'm pitiful. Actually, my wife and kids will tell you he's pitiful. He's the only male in our house and he's just pitiful. I mean, even the guinea pigs are female. He's just pitiful, you know. And and the truth is that the reason they love me is not in the midst of my strength. They have pity on me in the midst of my weakness, my neediness. The times when I stand before you and you go home off to your thing and go, oh man, that bunch, he was such a good guy. And then I go into my house and I don't practice the things that I just said. And they look at me and they love me anyways. And they said, he's pitiful. He's just pitiful. Folks, all of us want to be strong. We want to be smart. We want to be sexy. We all want to be brilliant. We all want to be beautiful. And yet... How are we loved? How are we accepted? On the basis of pity from God and from each other. You see, on the cross, folks, you know what saved the world? Pity. Jesus looked down at our huge pile of moral debt and he said, I have pity on them. Now, some of you might wonder where you could find a group of pitiful sinners 
who are, you know, people who will wrong you, who will hurt you, so that you can practice forgiveness. You might be looking for a group like that. Well, guess what? Just look down your aisle right now. Look at the people behind you. People down here. The people in the balcony, they're pitiful. But I'll tell you, people in the balcony, guess what? You're not as bad as the people down here. These are worse. There's pitiful. You see, when someone would come to you and say, tell me about the church. What is the church about? Here's the definition that you should give to them. The community of the pitiful. That's who we are. We are the community of the pitiful. There are no perfect people allowed here because every single person here has flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up in multiple different ways. We all have this huge pile of moral debt that you and I have. Every single one of us, our sins, our shortcomings. And yet, because we have been forgiven by our Heavenly Father, He then calls you and I to say, I've forgiven you, now forgive others. And this is what the Scripture says. For if we forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In the Lord's Prayer, remember he gets about halfway through it and then Jesus says these words. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You know what the truth is about every single person in this place? We all have debtors. Every single person has someone who has betrayed them, who has hurt them, who has wounded them. For some of you in this place right now, maybe you're thinking, you know what, that was my mom. That was my dad. They hurt me in an awful way. For others of you, maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe it's an ex-spouse who hurt you so badly. Maybe for some of you, it's a son or daughter. You have a son or daughter right now who is a prodigal. They've run away. They're away from you, and they've hurt you tremendously. Maybe it's a friend, someone that you counted on and They came to you and they needed some money. They needed some help. You gave it to them. They've never paid you back. You're in debt or they're in debt to you now. They're your debtor. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's a fellow Christian. Maybe it's actually somebody in this auditorium. Folks, we all have someone who is a debtor to us. We all have someone who has sinned against us. The question is not, who is that person? The question is not, has someone hurt me? The question is not, has someone offended me? The question is, how are you going to respond when they do? Will you choose grace and forgiveness or will you send unforgiveness on down the line? Now, Let me be very clear. What I'm not saying is don't excuse bad behavior. Don't ignore wrongdoing. If someone does something, you don't trust them the same. It would be stupid for you to do that. 
You may not even be able to reconcile with them. Because sometimes when someone sins against us, the reality is we have a very difficult time and struggle to actually forgive them because they don't think they've done anything wrong. They never repent. You see, full forgiveness is when you have this like restored relationship and all is well, but we don't have to wait until that point to start forgiving. I mean, you simply give up your right to get back at the person, to hurt them. So this is the way we're going to close today. The truth is, every single person here has an opportunity to either pass on to the next generation unforgiveness or forgiveness. You get to choose with your kids if you're going to model forgiveness or unforgiveness. You choose with your grandkids how you'll do that. Now, I understand, folks, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is a struggle. Forgiveness is complex. Forgiveness is difficult. Sometimes forgiveness just takes a few hours. Sometimes just a few days. Sometimes, though, it takes weeks. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. Sometimes it takes decades to get through some of that. I get it, folks. I really, really get it. But I kind of wonder over the past 2,000 years, how many marriages would have been put back together? How many families would have been reunited? How many friendships would have been mended? How many churches would have been united in one? How many lives would have been put back together that when they got to the part of the Lord's Prayer that said these words... And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. They actually paused and they stopped for a moment and they said, God, would you show me who those people are? And if you show me, God, I'll do my commitment to forgive them. So here's how we're going to close. We're going to share the Lord's Prayer together out loud, all in one voice. But when we get to the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, as I forgive my debtors, we're going to stop right then. And I want to give you a moment in your seat. So as much as you can, uh, try to clear your mind, put stuff down, try not to move around, make this a holy moment. But we're going to bring the lights down and we're just going to take a moment to give you space and time to say, God, where are there some grudges? Where are there some hurts? Who is it in my life that you want me to forgive? And then we want you to write down, or if you want, put it in your phone, whatever it is you want to do to know who that person is, who you need to forgive, who has hurt you. And then think of one action step that you're going to do. So let's go ahead. We're going to give you a moment. We'll bring these down. And we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. And then we're going to stop at this point in the middle of the prayer. And then give you a moment to just ask God, Who is it that you are asking me to forgive? 
Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet Caught up in this hope somebody, 
you desire, God, for them to practice forgiveness. I just ask, Lord, that you would reveal that name to them. God, we thank you so much because you're never too busy to forgive our big, giant pile of moral debt and to welcome us into your open arms. You take pity on us. You remind us that you're my son. You're my daughter. I love you. I forgive you. Come here. Let me put my arms around you. You are so loved by me. Yet, God, it's so hard for us sometimes to practice that kind of love and forgiveness with people who have hurt us. So, just for this moment, I invite you to quiet yourself to simply receive this prayer, but imagine these being your words that you're praying to God. God, help me today in this moment to release the person in my life who has hurt me. They wounded me. They betrayed me. They don't deserve my forgiveness. But I know that I cannot fully be forgiven unless I fully forgive them. So as best as I know how, God, today I release that person to you. And I forgive them in your name. God, give me the guts today to forgive them if it's safe, if it's possible. And I choose to be a person who walks in forgiveness today because you first forgave me. I pray this in Jesus' name.